Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos HSI familia and welcome back to Que Pasa HSIs. Today we are talking to Dr. Felicia Herrera Villarreal, who is the director of the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute and a full professor with tenure woo, woo, at San Diego State University. She is joined by Victoria Rodriguez Operana, who is a postdoctoral research fellow for the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute and Student Trajectories in Education at San Diego State University and a lecturer in the Human Development Sciences Program at the University of California, San Diego. Thank you all for being here today. I'm super excited to talk to y'all about the research you've been doing and particularly around this concept of STEM serviness, which I know we're really gonna jump into. But first, let's go ahead and talk about y'all's journeys. So we're gonna talk today, which is different than a lot of episodes. We usually talk about higher ed journeys and HSI consciousness journeys or servingness journeys separate, but we are gonna talk about them together. So go ahead and and let's jump in and start with that. Tell us a little bit about your your um higher ed journey and and also the servingness journey that come came with your with your higher ed journey my educational journey is really situated within my community um from a rural area in northern new mexico where my family is rooted and i mentioned that i can't separate my educational journey from my servingness journey largely because of that legacy and the legacy of HSIs in New Mexico. So um, New Mexico is a very diverse place. Um, the non-white population being the majority and it's currently at 65% and 50% identify as Hispanic or Latina, Latinx and 11% as American Indian. So with this racial ethnic makeup, it's no surprise that all of the public colleges in New Mexico are MSIs, either HSIs or tribal colleges or Native American serving non-tribal institutions. And so statewide, there's nearly two dozen HSIs. And in Taos, where I grew up, in the where there is a Latina, Latinx population that's even larger upwards of 65%, along with that large representation among our tribal communities, I saw just these huge divides and inequities. So New Mexico is one of the lowest income states in the country with low social mobility, high poverty rates, crime rates, other community struggles that are disproportionately, disproportionately impacted communities of color. And there's a high income equality across race where Latinx families have a median household income that is one third less or a full 35% less than the white median household income in the state. So this really shaped my own educational history as a low income first generation college student because um, UNM ranks last in the nation in education. Um, and for me, I saw a few examples of those who had earned a college degree, and I started post-secondary education at a community college as someone who dropped out of K through 12 education and earned a GD. And so when I started at UNM Taos, it was just an extension site of the UNM University of New Mexico main campus and later became an official branch campus and thus one of the youngest HSI community colleges in the country with a majority Latina, Latinx student body, large population, again, of Native students as well as the vast majority of those students being low income like myself. And so when I got my GED, I would, they also showed me the how I could enroll in college and there was supports, things like a Pell Grant <laughs> that would pay for my tuition despite, you know, this messaging um, that and this huge divide that I had experienced where it's like this constant college is not for people like me, it's not for me. Um, and I started and I didn't know the difference between an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree, 
but I found out also at the time that I was pregnant and I knew I wanted something better for my child. So I pursued post-secondary education as a single mother with two young daughters being with me for this entire journey and earned an associate's degree where only 12 out of 64 credits transferred from the branch campus to the main campus. Um, and so that was devastating. Um, it felt like the past two years um, were not gonna count for anything. And I basically had to start over despite seeing my academic advisor every semester. But as a first generation student, I didn't know what questions to ask. I just kept following the degree plan and likely as a young single mother, maybe nobody expected me to continue to the bachelor's degree. So there was also these huge issues with articulation agreements at the time, which our legislature was working on and addressing, but this really prompted my drive and pursuit of a career in higher education because I wanted to make things better for those behind me. So I got my bachelor's and master's degree from UNM and I also served as a full-time higher education professional for nearly a decade in several HSIs in New Mexico. And in everything from as an advisor, grant writer, adjunct faculty member, um, to a position in diversity and equity and inclusion at the UNM main campus, where I had this opportunity to shape, help in shaping our diversity plan as an R1 HSI research university. And so these efforts really drew on the work of higher ed scholars shaping the national discussions on diversity in higher education, um, such as Dr. Silvia Hurtado, our shared mentor, um, who I had the ability to work closely with as I pursued my master's and PhD at UCLA, and who really shaped our perspectives in serving diverse and minoritized students with, within MSIs, HSIs, and allowed me to further develop my research interests, not just in this work more broadly, but specifically within STEM as a math educator. And so I had the opportunity to work on several large scale NSF NIH funded STEM projects. Um, my work now, having been a tenure, tenure track faculty member for over a decade, starting first at Oregon State in Ed Policy and now at SDSU since 2015, has been grounded in my HSI Servinus journey. So as an HSI student, an HSI graduate, HSI professional and faculty member, and as an HSI scholar and really focused on HSI servingness in STEM, which emphasizes that two-year pathway um, as Hispanic serving uh, community colleges are critical access points to not only not only for Latina students, but also for other racially minoritized students and women and women of color that are underrepresented in many STEM fields. So this led to the establishment of our research institute, which we'll talk more about, but I wanted to also just really add and emphasize um, to my journey and my success was only possible through the support of several badass Latina leaders within, you know, with several um, presidents, vice presidents, and other leadership positions, faculty positions, who not only mentored me and championed my potential well beyond what I could have even comprehended for myself at the time, but they also did this for so many others and held our institutions accountable to servingness. And so while I could never live up to their legacies, I kind of channel them in my work because I understand the power of that impact. So I really do attribute most of my, um, all of that work to, to those that have supported me. Let's lift up the badass Latinas. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I love it. We do that kind of stuff here on the pod. So definitely need to speak that into in existence, right? That we know that we get to where we are. Your tremendous journey um, with support of a lot of people, you know, like people mentor us along the way. And so thank you for, for saying that. Yes. So I really love this question because I think it's important and critical to understand the identities and journeys of the folks who are doing this really important work. Um, so I was born and raised in San Diego, California, and grew up in the South Bay, so just a few minutes away from the U.S.-Mexico border. 
Um, I'm the granddaughter of Filipino and Chamorro families who arrived in San Diego via the U.S. Navy. So my mom's parents are from the Philippines and my dad's parents are from the island of Guam or Guahan. Um, and coming from a working class family where both of my parents were working, you know, full-time jobs and sometimes multiple jobs, my grandparents really played an important role in helping raise and care for, you know, me and my siblings, our extended family growing up. Um, and for me, it was never a question of whether I was going to go to college, but rather where. Um, and from a very young age, I was, you know, always interested in reading and writing, and I always wanted to learn more. Um, and going to college was also just a collective dream for my family. You know, they really sacrificed a lot so that their families could have better lives. Um, and these sacrifices really afforded me the privilege of seeking higher education and pursuing a career that I was passionate about. Um, and, you know, my parents and grandparents, extended family members, they were always supportive. So they always encouraged me to get an education. But as a first generation college student, it was difficult, you know, navigating just the college application process and also being at a large university. Um, so growing up, I attended schools in the South Bay Union School District um, and Sweetwater Union High School District. And they weren't called this then, but essentially these are Hispanic serving school districts. And the schools that I attended had student enrollments where the vast majority were Latine. Um, and so going to a large university like UCSD was such a culture shock for me. Um, you know, I took some general education courses at uh, Southwestern College, and that felt more like home where I would actually um, take classes uh, with folks who I grew up with. It felt familiar. Um, but again, being in that large university and institution like UCSD, it was unfamiliar. And I really struggled to find community there, um, especially because I was both a full-time student and working 30 to 40 hours a week. Um, and so for me, experiential learning and specifically undergraduate research really played a key role in my academic and career trajectory. Um, so I believe it was in my second year as a psychology student, I started working in a cognitive psychology and neuroscience lab where I was connected with other women of color undergraduates and a postdoc who actually encouraged us to apply to and present at the Stanford Undergraduate Psychology Conference. Um, and through those relationships, I also learned more about the UCSD Psychology Honors Program, which intends to support undergrads interested in research and graduate school. And it was through that program that I was connected with my faculty mentor, Professor Michael Cole, and working in after-school programs in Southeast San Diego. Um, and after engaging in that work and you know, talking to graduate students within that space, I decided to explore graduate programs that were bridging some of my interests in not only psychology, but education and human development. And eventually I ended up at UCLA in the human development and psychology division, um, first as a master's student, and then I ended up committing uh, to the PhD program. Um, and so at UCLA, my primary advisor was uh, Dr. Rashmita Mistry, and I worked on several projects through her lab focused on children's understanding of economic and social inequality. Um, I also had the opportunity to work with scholars like Drs. Carola Suarez Orozco, uh, Sandra Graham, and Jane Pizzolatto. And so throughout my program, I had experience conducting research on different projects that kind of span the educational trajectory. So everything from early childhood education, middle and high schools throughout LA and the experiences of community college students. Um, and my dissertation in particular examined the racialized experiences of Filipina, Filipinx and Filipino adolescents in school contexts, um, including, you know, thinking about their social identities, their relationships with family, peers, and teachers, and its implications for their academic and uh, psychosocial adjustment. And so, you know, although I grew up attending these Hispanic serving school districts, and I had done some research in community college contexts where they were HSIs, servingness and its multidimensionality was not yet in my consciousness as a scholar. Um, I guess just as a function of who I am, all of my identities that I bring to this work um, as a first generation college student and woman of color and my experiences both uh, 
personally and as a scholar, I have always been interested in the experiences of minoritized folks and how we as educators can better support students, you know, not just academically, but beyond that, um, how we can support students in the ways in ways that center their identities, their families, their communities, and their well-being overall. Um, and so my serving this journey within HSIs really began through my work with the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute at SDSU. And when I talk about this part of my journey, I always say that it was meant to be. I was meant to be here and doing this work. Um, actually, the day that I defended my dissertation, I learned about this postdoctoral job at SDSU examining the experiences of minoritized students in STEM. And for me, I saw this as an opportunity to come back home, to be able to not only be close to my family and my friends, but to be able to do education research in ways that center the communities that I grew up in. Um, and so working with the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute, it really put me at the forefront of this work, really thinking about the ways that HSIs and really Hispanic serving community colleges are intentionally serving and supporting our Latina students, um, and specifically those studying STEM. And your work, Dr. Garcia, and so many of our HSI colleagues, um, and especially with the multidimensional model paper, that really pushed us to think about the multiple ways in which we can examine servingness and all of the layers involved, including you know the structures and practices for serving, as well as the importance of looking at external influences. Ooh, all right. So y'all gave us a good picture of what it looks like to actually be brought up in, grow up in like Hispanic serene spaces and or people of color spaces, right? The spaces y'all named are like uh, both San Diego and New Mexico, right? Like those are spaces that are just it's just the water you swim in type of thing, right? Where, mm -hmm. And that's what it sounds like the stories y'all are saying is like, this is just has always been where we've been at, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you finished, right, Victoria, with like, but then there's also the theoretical piece, right? right? Which is, is important, right? That in practice, we might know servingness and we might have been on these journeys since day one, um, which people often talk about on the show. They say like, mm -hmm. I learned servingness from my grandma, you mm -hmm. know, like things like that. That's like, you're right, right? Like this is, it's it's within us. It's innate within us um, in many ways. Um, yet the theoretical pieces, you know, those, those, those are just different ways for us to make sense of the experiences we already have had. So... It makes a lot of sense why y'all requested to talk to about them together. So thank you for that. I love it. I loved really thinking through as y'all as y'all were talking about um, your journeys and, and giving us a piece of how you got to where you are um, and and why you do this this research. So we're going to talk about the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute and and a lot of the work y'all are doing. Y'all are producing a ton of knowledge, and so we're gonna get into it. Uh, Felicia, do you want to start by just telling us about the institute and like you know, introduces to your team and the kind of work that y'all are doing? Sure, sure. So in 2015, I moved to San Diego State University from Oregon State University and um, founded the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute, or RESISTE. Um, I was really thankful to be back in Southern California um, within this area where there was a vast majority of colleges that are HSIs or all of the public um, are basically either emerging or, or HSIs, all the public institutions. And so I immediately began building relationships um, and wanted to emphasize really that this work started from the ground up and centered on building those connections with others who were truly passionate about serving underrepresented and minoritized students, particularly within STEM and in our most diverse institutions. And so broadly, the work of the Institute focuses on promoting uh, research that contributes to the understanding of P through 20 educational trajectories and the context that engage and support students from diverse and racially minoritized backgrounds, but we had the opportunity to further the STEM-focused work um, through the support of the National Science Foundation through several funded projects, and it was severely apparent to me when I started this um, focus of research uh, nearly 15 years ago at this point 
um, that we talked a lot about diversifying STEM, yet we were not prioritizing our efforts at the diverse institutions where we had the critical mass to make a significant impact. And I had that opportunity to see and be part of that evolution of growing emphasis and support at the national level for STEM efforts at MSIs, HSIs, and for colleges within the two-year sector. And with the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute, we've had the opportunity to be able to be at the forefront of this work since 2016 with the Ed Systems Project that was funded as part of one of the first NSF Dear Colleagues letter that I had ever seen, which explicitly called out two-year Hispanic-serving institutions as the target audience. And this initial pilot worked with two Hispanic-serving community college districts. And our more recent HSI STEM project is where we were able to expand this work to the entire region. Um, at a much larger scale of a five-year project, which was funded as part of the first cohort of awardees for the NSF HSI program, um, which I would say is, you know, the work that's closest to my heart um, as it was born out of those amazing partnerships with great leaders and educators among the 11 HSIs in the San Diego Imperial Valley area. Um, and we've built on this work and really had the opportunity and honor to lead and co-lead various NSF funded um, grant awards totaling over um, 4 million as either a lead PI or co-PI and in partnership with our amazing research team and research collaborator collaborators and institutional partners. And the most recent being part of the leadership for the NSF includes Alliance that collaborates nationally with um, community and STEM industry partners and 40 plus HSIs, many of which are two-year HSIs with a particular focus on culturally affirming experiential learning opportunities for Latina STEM students. And it's just been great to see these initiatives grow and have only been pos possible through the collaborations with our team. And I'm really thankful to be here today with Dr. Victoria Rodriguez Operana because she has been an amazing partner in this work and has been our team lead since 2017. And she'll talk a little bit more about our fantastic team that and how we collaborate with them. But I do wanna mention that the Research Institute has thrived through a collaborative mentorship model that is very much reciprocal where everybody's perspectives are valued and mattered and we learn from each other and grow through building community and supporting each other and just like I mentioned that those doors were open for me we see this as some of the most important work that we do in uplifting the next generation of HSI and STEM education scholars practitioners and have worked hard since our inception to support students in a variety of ways. We've supported six postdoctoral research fellows, 15 graduate students, eight undergraduate students, and these are with paid research positions. So that we've collaborated with many others, with our research affiliates and others with other students and mutually beneficial work. But I feel very strongly and want to highlight um, our obligation to support our students financially at an institution uh, where student support is under-resourced at, at this HSI. And so that's a big part of the work that we do. And I just kind of wanted to add to that. So when we're talking about our servingness work, we think about our research, of course, right? But we're also thinking about how we enact and carry out servingness within our own space at the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute that's situated within an HSI. So thinking about the ways that we can serve and support our students. And these are really, like Dr. Eda said, the next generation of HSI scholars. These are emerging scholars at HSIs who are really committed to advancing equity and justice through research uh, focused on HSIs in the experiences of Latine and other minoritized students. And so we're really engaging in collaborative education research and mentorship and really femtorship because this is a space that has 
uh, primarily been women of color. And in talking about our center, um, we want to make sure that we're always highlighting the amazing contributions of our students. Um, intentional work to create that space. I have to give credit to Dr. Arif for, for creating a space where students feel really empowered. And I think we also co-create this together, right? So they feel empowered to engage in HSI research. Um, and I think it's important to also highlight that when we're talking about empowerment, um, they are learning about research, yes, but we are constantly learning from them and they bring so much to our projects um, and to our work through their experiences, their knowledge, their expertise, and their passion. You know, they're really exploring interesting topics related to our work on STEM servingness. So everything from, you know, the important role of Latine institutional agents, uh, the importance of collaborations and doing HSI servingness work. Uh, as well as the importance of race conscious policies that have implications for structures and practices within HSIs. Um, so our center as a whole is doing really important work in this area, but we want to make sure that we're always uplifting and acknowledging uh, the great contributions of our team, including students um, and postdocs. Powerful. Y'all are that. Thank you for putting a number on the number of uh, students and postdocs and scholars that you have supported um, and really lifting up this idea of mentoring the future scholars, right? They're going to keep doing this work. Uh, how powerful and how important and also the embodiment of servingness, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and that that's that's how this comes through, right? That like, and in a lot of ways, y'all, this is just who y'all are, right? Uh, leading a center like this, leading an institute like this um, by your ways of knowing, right? That that's such an important piece to to rise and lift uh, as you go. So, so thank you for giving us a little bit more background on the institute. Um, Felicia, you mentioned the term resiste as your as your acronym. And I know I've seen the logo and it has the little fist. Um, and so do you want to talk to us a little bit about that, uh, the significance of the term and or like where that came from? Was that as y'all were creating the space? Um, yeah, just talk to us about the about the acronym. Well, we love acronyms in higher education and our center has um, particularly likes to play with um, <laughs> the significance of them. Um, so RESISTE stands for Research and Equity Scholarship on Student Trajectories in Education. Um, but really, I think, uh, and it was co-developed and um, really came up with by the amazing team that I had with me that helped me imagine what this space would look like. Um, we had an amazing team of graduate students as we first started conceptualizing what a research center could look like and be like at um, SDSU. And they were all amazing contributors to, um, you know, not just creating the acronym and um, shout out to Michelle who um, created the logo for us. Um, but really, I think, the significance for us at the time, and it's come to mean a lot of different things over the years, but um, I came to SDSU thinking, great, I'm back at an HSI. There's, I'm surrounded by all HSIs. I'm in a predominantly um, Latina, Latinx space. Um, and then realized that there was a constant resistance to it. Um, and uh, to really speaking and highlighting, you know, even basic things that we were an HSI and that, um, you know, many, I think many of the institutions in the area um, were also at the very beginnings of embracing um, that identity and figuring out what that meant and what that would look like. And so I think it was very significant at the time of like our resistance to that we would be heard and we would continue to champion this work, um, even though there was um, this tendency to want to suppress that or, or reframe it in colorblind ways. I love it. I 
and the worst acronyms, but you're right. We love them. And particularly those NSF grants love them, right? I think you get points for how creative your acronym is because <laughs> I always see really good ones and I'm like, oh, I'm so bad at it. Uh, so thank you for talking about it, but how significant um, to talk about resistance, right? Within a HSI space, when you're doing HSI research and still have to do that. Um, but that's that that core of HSIs is like, we're still working against white supremacy. We're still working about against systems of oppression, which is the work we're doing, right? We're all doing and chipping away little by little. It's like, how do we make it so that future generations don't have to do the same um, the same work, right? The same resistance work. Um, they'll probably be resisting other things, but for now we're continuing to resist um, the oppressive structures that, that we're within. And so that, that, that work is gonna carry on. So we're going to get into um, four main areas that y'all have have spent um, sort of conceptualizing and producing knowledge around because um, I want to I want to talk about each of these different areas. So let's start first with student mobility and STEM pathways, both regionally and nationally. Sure. So we've thought about um, student mobility in terms of like just basically first understanding um you know, the data in terms of student enrollment, completion trends, uh, for example, with our um, article titled A National Portrait for STEM Trajectories Through Two and Four Year HSIs, and where we really examined um, where students are starting post-secondary education, what transfer pathways look like, the specific role of HSIs, and we just demonstrated through that um, data that HSIs are critical to STEM pathways, um, not just for Latina students, but for other underrepresented students as well. Um, but beyond that particular article, our work has really um, taken a closer look at the realities for students who are often navigating complex pathways. Um, and many community college students often attend multiple institutions. Um, not just by virtue of the transfer function and moving from the two and four year levels, but in transfer across multiple institutions prior to the four year transfer or in attending multiple institutions at the same time with concurrent enrollment, for example. So we really stress that we cannot think about students being isolated and only impacted within one institution. And we looked at student mobility across institutions following the line of research that I pursued in my dissertation and examined this through national and regional level data, particularly in places like San Diego where students have geographical access to multiple community colleges, multiple um, through uh, multi-campus community college districts. And while students were navigating across these institutions, we also found um, in some of our more qualitative work that's so powerful, and I know Dr. Rodriguez Operano will share a little bit more, is that there was this opportunity for institutions to work together to support students across multiple institutions that might, you know, for students that might be attending or transferring between them. And so, and this is also something that's really at the core of a lot of the work that we're doing is that we do this work to imagine what regional HSI serviness looks like, um, to begin to identify how we partner regionally across institutions to support HSI STEM serviness rather than simply working in our silos within our own campuses. And that you know, ties also to another core area of our work in, in community-centered STEM initiatives in that all of these institutions across the re region are really seeking to serve the same community of Latina and Latinx students, but we often let our own in individual institutional priorities kind of take precedent, um, which can be a competing priority to the overall goal of serving these students. And we really wanted to think about centering the community, the student populations, um, so that we can kind of get beyond the silos, both within and across institutions. Ooh, that's a lot to think about and a lot to unpack. Um, and y'all are doing this um, 
work in, in like intersectional ways, right? Because it could be student mobility on its own. It could be STEM pathways on its own. It could be regional focus, but like you're, you're like intersecting them, right? That like, that is so important is like, okay, where are the intersections of this work? And then how does it have this, um, the significance, right? At a national level, at a larger level, um, even beyond the region y'all are talking about, but it sounds like you have a really great space to be doing this work and also good partnerships. Um, I wasn't aware that there were that many community colleges um, in y'all's local area, right? Which I assume are the ones that are feeding into um, the San Diego colleges, right? The University of San Diego and um, San Diego State. Uh, But yeah, I didn't realize that there were that many community colleges locally and all HSIs, right? Mm -hmm. Predominantly all HSIs. And also added the added dimension um, of border HSIs. Mm-hmm. Right, that there are close to the border. Some students that go to these institutions um, near the borders, we know, are crossing borders right on a daily basis, which it, it brings in a whole other dimension um, and creates even more challenges of pathways. So, whew, yeah, y'all got y'all got a lot um, going on and a lot to think about. So let's talk about a little bit more about that, the nuanced experiences of students, right, and what kind of things y'all are starting to see um, in that way with the research. So Dr. Rodriguez, so Piranha, yeah, you're going to jump in? Yes, absolutely. So some of the strengths from our work really highlights those stories, those narratives, those lived experiences of our Latine and also other minoritized students who are in STEM. They started at community colleges and they successfully transferred to four-year institutions. So they were, you know, experiencing both Hispanic serving community colleges and four-year HSIs. at the national level, as Dr. Eder mentioned, we were able to understand, you know, some of the roles that HSI play, HSIs play in the STEM pathways for our Latina and minoritized students, and our qualitative data really allowed us to better understand their lived experiences navigating those spaces. Um, a lot of times our stories involve student mobility, so traversing these multiple community college contexts and universities. Um, and what we saw from our qualitative data um, we saw that they were attending anywhere from two to seven institutions, post-secondary institutions throughout their educational trajectory. Um, And, you know, their stories really centered on some of the challenges that they experienced navigating those spaces within different STEM disciplinary contexts, as well as the strength that they drew from their communities and from those mentors that were really countering those um, isolating experiences with STEM. Um, and I know you talked about a little bit about intersectionality and one of our papers uh, that was uh, published in AERA Open uh, was, it was hard and it still is, Women of Color Navigating HSI STEM Transfer Pathways. And so that was a paper that really dug into the intersectional experiences of you know, women of color in HSIs across those, you know, two-year, four-year pathways, but, you know, also specifically our Latinas in STEM and, you know, what they were dealing with and coping with as they were seeking to transfer. Um, And so, you know, in their focus groups and follow-up interviews, they were talking about things like the lack of representation of women and specifically women of color in STEM, especially as they transitioned from you know, Hispanic serving community colleges where it was much more diverse in terms of thinking about both the student population within STEM and also the faculty um, that were that were working in STEM as well. Um, and, you know, so when they were transferring from Hispanic serving colleges uh, where the faculty and student populations were much more diverse um, to an HSI uh, or a four-year HSI, they really felt like they were missing something. They were missing that community that they felt at a community college. Um, So they were experiencing things like gendered microaggressions. Um, For example, um, as one of the only women or Latinas in her engineering classes, one of our participants talked about how she would ask a question, something pretty direct and simple, and the professor would not answer her question directly, but would instead start mansplaining, talking about things that she already knew um, and understood, but wouldn't wouldn't get to her, to her question directly. 
Um, others talked about their experiences as women of color and as Latinas that involved the intersex intersections of race and gender. Um, and this included things like experiences of having their competence constantly questioned in STEM spaces that were, you know, primarily, that primarily involved men and white people. Um, and so when they would accomplish a task or even just introduce themselves, for example, as an engineering interns, folks would act surprised that, you know, they were capable um, and for one particular student experiencing this type of microaggression, this really caused her to question uh, whether or not they were questioning her competency as a woman or as a Latina. Um, and you know, so this was this was a common experience for the women of color that we we interviewed um, and engaged in focus groups with. Uh, but one of the most powerful findings, I think, from this study. Um, I think were the students responsive to re responses to those oppressive STEM env environments. So they were challenging stereotypes, not just about women, but about women of color and Latina women in the sciences. And so they really wanted to overcome these challenges and barriers because they wanted to be the example for the next generation of women, of women of color in STEM for their sisters, for their cousins, for their communities. Um, and they also shared the power that they found through their support net networks. Uh, so many were leaning on you know, other women or women of color mentors or femtors as they navigated these, these spaces. Um, and we also saw the importance of mentors and institutional agents. So, you know, faculty, staff, and administrators at HSIs in the student sample overall. So it wasn't only our women of color thinking about this, it was, it was our entire sample. And for many students, um, institutional agents working within campus programs that were specifically designed to serve Latina students or other racially minoritized students, or first-generation college students and transfer students, these were the folks at HSIs that were really supportive of um, students' experiences and, and their persistence in STEM. Your response got me thinking about how, when I talked about, um, you know, oh, the community colleges are leading into the, the four-year institutions, but then I also was like, wait, UC San Diego isn't an HSI. And that you made me think about that because you're saying they're, comp they're they're moving from one space to another, right? This is what y'all are talking about. You're talking about the mobility. You're talking about the pathways, um, and they may get wider, right? As they as they as they as they move on, um, they also are probably getting wider or less uh, Latina people when they get into the STEM spaces, right? Um, even if they're at an HSI, we know right. that that's the reality. Um, so they might be even be in the the larger space or the whole campus that is like, okay, this is HSI, it feels like serving us, it feels good. Um, but then get into those classes, get into the engineering class and like microaggressions, yeah. um, which is what I think we need to like, that's what we need to grapple with, right? Is like, how do you make the whole space feel right? How does, how does this whole space become welcoming? Um, and when does it become everybody's job, right? Mm -hmm. To do serving this and not just a few select people on campus. Yeah. So yeah, you got me thinking a lot. As you were. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there's good work being done, but it's always, it has to be a work in progress. Mm -hmm. We have to. Yeah. There's still so much work to do. So, um, you mentioned uh, faculty and staff and admin um, institutional agents. Um, did y'all want to add anything else on that? That's a whole nother like um, line of work y'all are doing beyond <laughs> the student student perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. So we also, you know, built on and you know acknowledging the experiences of students. We conducted interviews with institutional agents. Um, so that included faculty, staff, and administrators involved in HSI. Um, or STEM initiatives at Hispanic serving colleges, uh, community colleges in the San Diego and Imperial Valley region. Um, and we used photo elicitation methods to really examine from their perspective, their institutions, organizational identities as HSIs. So what are the ways that their institutions are serving their Latin students and specifically those within STEM? Um, asking questions like how their own identity shaped the work that they do, um, and also how they were partner partnering and collaborating with 
others on their campus and beyond to serve and advocate for Latine students in STEM um, and other minoritized students in STEM as well. And we really learned so much from our partners um, through these interviews. Um, but you know, I did want to highlight a few findings from that work, that line of work as well. Um, so you know, first, across several campuses, institutional agents were really talking about how they were incorporating culturally relevant pedagogy and practices within their own STEM classrooms. So doing things like sharing their own identities and journeys within STEM, um, or making STEM content relatable to their students and their communities. And for, you know, faculty at Hispanic serving community colleges, where they are, you know, um, in, in our in our region, especially where many of them are shared many identities with the students that they are teaching. This is really important. Um, they also talked about the importance of increasing STEM faculty diversity within their institutions overall. Um, you know, recognizing, you know, some of them were recognizing the research and studies that show how important it is to have faculty of color within institutions. Um, serving students of color, um, but they also were recognizing how this manifested in their own institutions, um, you know, with many of their Latine students seeking out and really wanting to develop those relationships and seeking out that support from their Latine, Latina faculty. Um, you know, others spoke about, you know, targeted programming uh, for Latine and other minoritized students in STEM. This included, you know, intentional efforts to recruit and engage them in STEM programs like Echale STEM. It was a student club that was specifically designed for Latine students to connect with STEM faculty and professionals in the field. So they were inviting STEM professionals from the Latine community to come talk to students or inviting students to go on field trips to places like Google. Um, they were having events on their campuses like Noche de Familia that really welcomed students, parents, and families to campus to engage with STEM faculty and to really understand um, some of the work that they were doing as students. Um, and other, you know, campus in initiatives were engaging multiple campus communities. So um, folks at City College were doing things like Math Jam, right, that brought together Latine and Black students to connect with math faculty and show them that math tutoring could be fun and right and it, they could provide that warm welcoming and loving space for them. Um, something that wasn't always present in other STEM spaces. Um, and I think within this line of work, you know, it's also important to acknowledge that these efforts were often made possible through the intentional efforts of individual faculty or other staff on campus who were collaborating with their colleagues and they were really committed to equity and justice in these spaces. Um, at the time of our interviews, some were engaging in these efforts through funds provided by, for example, Title III HSI STEM grants, but not all of them. Um, some of them, you know, had the funding to provide more comprehensive programs that involve things like providing research opportunities and peer mentors and physical space on campus like STEM centers that were offering tutoring and connection to STEM faculty, um, STEM specific advising, and in some uh, cases offer them a space where they had access to things like coffee, a space to study with their peers, a food pantry or just connections to other folks on campus who could connect them to important resources that help to meet their needs more holistically. Um, and, you know, so I, I always like to, to reiterate those collaborative efforts across campus departments. So across the STEM disciplines and other, you know, other non-STEM disciplines as well, but also um, by partnering with folks in the community. So across HSI's engagement with organizations like like a C um, really help contribute to educators' capacity to engage in their servingness work. Um, and you know, one of the biggest concerns that they had, um, and I can get more into this a little bit later, uh, involved institutionalization of these servingness efforts, right? So what happens once the funding runs out or if they're carrying out these efforts individually or with the help of, you know, a few of their colleagues, what happens if they leave the institution? Do students lose programming? Do they lose um, space? Do they lose that intentional support? Um, 
you know, we, like I said, we learned so much just through, through these conversations and, and how servingness was, was enacted across different, um, different community college HSIs regionally, and also the potential for growth in this area as well. Oh, you just give me so much hope. Now I feel so bad because I always poke fun at STEM. I'm like, STEM's not doing anything. STEM, you got to get on board. And you just like disrupted that, right? And basically said there is good stuff going on. Um, and and particularly in the community college space, right? That that the STEM, some good STEM servingness work is going on in the California community colleges, right? In the San Diego in the San Diego area. Um, so thank you for lifting that up and also even naming, right? Some of the spaces that are that are doing this work and the, and the importance of collaboration across that is like, we gotta stress that, right? We, we do not have to do this work in silos um, on our own campuses or, you know, with, without reaching out to other organizations. So, so let's think about the scholarly contributions then. Like I mentioned this uh, STEM servingness, right? We're gonna do STEM servingness. Um, talk to me about that. Like how are these, this research um, contributing then to servingness specifically within a STEM space um, and any other scholarly contributions um, y'all are making? Felicia, you wanna jump in on that one? Sure, um, I'll start with um, kind of this centering of community because I think that's really an important um, kind of core value in the work that we do. And the STEM identity, the, the community-centered STEM identity model, um, which I co-authored with my brilliant colleague, Dr. Kovat Sanchez, who I know you've had on the podcast, but really this was, this work was developed in collaboration with and builds off the larger work of our amazing research team. Uh, but the model was published in the Journal of Hispanics in Higher Education and just provides an example of how we kind of shift our perspective to focus on the cultural strengths of students and the potential contributions as emerging STEM professionals. Um, and so we built upon the foundational concepts of STEM identity and the wealth of, of literature that expands on how gender, uh, race, ethnicity, and other social identities affect one's ability to form a strong STEM identity and the many um, contexts and systems of power that impact those, um, both within STEM disciplinary contexts and the home communities that are shaped by um, socio-historical, political, and economic contexts. Um, so we looked at how um, students um, were kind of disrupting these um, sometimes unwelcoming, isolating climates that really were incongruent with community-based social justice, civic-minded values, um, which numerous studies show that students of color are likely to choose STEM because they want to help others. They want to give back to their communities with that hope of advancing humanity and achieving equity in science. So um, this work really demonstrated how students were able to um, enact community-based approaches through grounding community, engaging community, and bridging community. So they were grounded in those cultural values um, and in the history, languages, identities, and spaces within their home communities, um, and how um, these really impacted their own STEM goals, um, and then how they were engaging community through reciprocal support, kinship networks, and community-based programs, and then really building those same family-like communities on campus and mobilizing in the community. And then they kind of brought this all together through um, bridging community by redefining STEM and reimagining their own potential contributions as STEM professionals. Um, and that included uplifting the next, next generations. And so we saw the ways that they um, were integrating community-based environmental issues and advocating for things like this through their own research. And it really just demonstrates, I think, what we are missing um, if we're not really valuing the diverse perspectives in the field and the innovation that comes with that um, when those voices are present. Um, and so, you know, they were asking in different, you know, 
and approaching scientific problems differently or asking entirely different questions altogether. Um, so this just really, um, this work really highlighted that um, and how, you know, community interdependence in STEM is really a critical step to disrupting um, those disciplinary environments that, um, you know, really suppress this type of community-based work. And so that connects to the HSI STEM serviness um, and how we have been conceptualizing that within these disciplinary contexts um, and the unique barriers that we are grappling with and how um, we think about crafting intentional efforts specifically for Latina communities and students, um, as well as other underrepresented students in STEM at HSIs. And so we've been working on this work for the last you know, number of years and kind of fleshing out the key structures for HSI servingness in the context of STEM, um, looking particularly at that lens um, of the two-year, what makes sense with the two-year level versus the, two, the four-year level, um, and even more just within the transfer process itself. And so what does that look like? Um, and this included, you know, not just the structures, but also thinking holistically about the outcomes and, um, you know, the many different ways um, that we need to think about what makes sense within context, um, not forcing four-year frameworks onto community colleges, and then also just thinking about these structures and outcomes within specific um, areas such as um, our more recent work focused on experiential learning. And I'll pass it over to Dr. Rodriguez Operana to give us some specifics about that. Yeah, so our latest work that we presented um, at ARA really builds upon the years of work that we've been engaging in on STEM servingness at HSIs, um, you know, but specifically when the, within the context of experiential learning at HSI. So high impact practices like undergraduate research and internships. Um, again, within these notions of servingness, we emphasize uh, the importance of culturally responsive and sustaining practices within STEM that counter the often alienating um, STEM disciplinary context that students confront um, and, you know, practices that reflect a commitment to really affirm and validate students' multiple identities, their cultural backgrounds, and life experiences. Um, so this includes things like incorporating community building activities within STEM experiential learning. Um, we saw examples in the literature of STEM experiential learning programming that was rooted in critical race theory, um, you know, which uh, this particular program, Build Poder, um, used to help faculty mentors and students really understand their journeys in STEM through a CRT lens, right? So specifically challenging systemic and institutional factors that are impacting student STEM experiences. Um, this also includes intentional efforts to recruit um, and engage our Latine students in STEM experiential learning, um, and also other minoritized students as well, because we know that these are students that are at our HSIs, our HSI community colleges. Um, so, you know, other racially and ethnically minoritized students, uh, women of color, first-generation college students, um, this work also acknowledges the critical role of institutional and external support and resources to, ex uh, to sustain these experiential learning opportunities at HSI. So acknowledging the importance of things like, you know, Title III HSI STEM grants and, you know, NSF STEM initiatives. Um, servingness also means opportunities for students to interact with, you know, STEM faculty, peers, uh, industry professionals, and community members, you know, really helping them develop relationships with key figures in the field who are in STEM and, and share their identities and experiences, who provide advice, you know, helpful resources, and critical systems of support. Um, and then finally, you know, aligned with some of our previous work as well, 
Um, these efforts are often carried out and sustained through partnerships and collaborations. You know, we can't emphasize that enough, uh, the importance of those, those collaborations, you know, not just between educational institutions, but partnerships with community um, and industry partners. Um, and, you know, thinking about students' outcomes associated with participation in, you know, STEM experiential learning, Yes, of course, you know, retention in STEM, you know, development of uh, career uh, career paths in STEM are important, but we also want to highlight the importance of uh, thinking about outcomes beyond those academic and career related outcomes, right? So are they providing those validating experiences with STEM? What is the work that they're engaging in to um, develop things like uh, community-centered uh, community STEM identities that Dr. Eric just talked about. Um, and so just thinking about that more holistic support for students. I love it. I love when uh, everything you're saying, I start mapping it onto the servingness framework. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And you you did it like like you was like literally just doing it yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but the y'all keep referring to the external influences in a lot of ways, right? Mm -hmm. That like, we need money. We need external support to do this work. We need to work in partnership. We need to work with communities. We, students want to work with communities, right? Like what, how important is that? Um, but the experiential learning is definitely not in the model so we'll add that that's that's going into the stem the stem serviness framework um but even the talking about how students want to work uh with communities and i do cite that article often um the curando la, la comunidad um that that's an outcome right that students want that engagement with uh community um but also our faculty providing that for students that's a structure Right, they structurally need to be able to do it. Um, we need to provide those opportunities for students to be able to actually have that liberatory outcome of like, I'm serving my community. This is the community I love and I come from, and STEM is going to help me to support my community, right, and help it to to thrive. So thank you. So anybody that's listening and that wants like their last tips for like, what should we be doing in STEM? What are the uh, maybe like one or two key takeaways y'all would say from um, from the research, if you both want to jump in and say, I recommend practitioners do, you know, these two things maybe um, as, as they're thinking about their efforts to really do good STEM servingness um, within HSIs. So I don't know if one of y'all wants to jump in, but making sure we we give people something to walk away with, right? This tangible, like, let me go try this. Yeah, in terms of implementing servingness, I think we need to center the experiences of and support for our Latine students, right? Whether that be through intentional recruitment and engagement efforts, um, you know, in HSI and STEM-focused initiatives, but we need to put them at the center, right? And I think, you know, I just reiterating some of the points that we already talked about from our work, um, thinking beyond academic and career related support and providing those validating spaces uh, for students. Um, and also just the capacity building efforts that, that we talked about as well. So collaborations, we need the external funding and, and support to, carry these initiatives through and to make sure they're sustained within within our institutions as well. Oh, good summary. Anything to add, Alicia? Well, I think I just want to affirm all of the efforts and the wonderful work being done at HSIs, um, especially to your HSIs. Like we had the opportunity to talk with nearly 100 faculty, staff and administrators at these institutions. Um, and just being able to amplify the work of those that are deeply engaged in building meaningful community relationships um, and and partnering in that work. And I, you know, beyond working abstractly or simply um, what looks good on paper. Um, and so many of these efforts, you know, being outside and well and above and beyond the job description and utilizing personal time, resources, networks, and all of those. So finding ways to to more um, to uplift those efforts. And again, just really seeing that work at the national level and 
you know, shouting out to my amazing colleagues doing this work in at that level um, in many spaces, including NSF, um, who are, you know, pushing the work um, to really um, support this work through that funding, getting it to the institutions that haven't, you know, had that funding historically in the past, and, you know, seeing that amazing work being led by, again, often women of color, um, who have really pushed the work in really significant ways. Um, and so I just also want to acknowledge that. And I'm really grateful for all of my colleagues out there. I appreciate that. Like I said, you are, y'all was, y'all have been disrupting, right? All my like poking at STEM all the time, like STEM, come on, do this. Like you have shared so much, right? That there is a lot going on. Um, and so, yes, I will do better. So thank you for even disrupting my mindset as somebody who claims to support HSIs, I still be poking fun at, at um, different groups within. So, so thank you for disrupting, um, you know, my, some of my own um, thinking. Uh, so final question, y'all, everybody got to answer the final question. When you hear the question, que pasa HSIs, what is your response uh, to that? So I think just echoing what Dr. Eder was saying, it's important to acknowledge, right, the current efforts at HSIs, especially at Hispanic serving community colleges, but also recognizing that we can always do better. Um, and I think that we can really find strength and power in doing this work together, right? So by listening to and working in collaboration and solidarity with students and educators within HSIs and the broader community. Yeah, so I think, yeah, HSI STEM is what's up at HSIs. Um, <laughs> I, I can't really follow that, that um, the great comments of Dr. Rodriguez Oprana. So thank you. <laughs> That's what's up. That was, that was a good response. It was perfect. It summarizes the whole episode. So thank you for that. And thank you both for being here today um, on Que Pasa HSIs. Thank you so much. Thank you. We really appreciate the opportunity. Welcome.